Well, as we've said before, God is good. And all the time. But have you ever considered what it is that makes God good? Is it the, 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 the majesty of creation? Is it God's power? Is it God's grace? Is it God's forgiveness? Is it God's mercy? What makes God so good? Well, I think many of us, we've been in in a place of God's creation when we have just been wowed, right? We look at something and we think only God can do something like this. We've seen God's creation or many of us have experienced the power of God in our lives. We've seen God work in our lives. Many of us understand that we have been forgiven. We appreciate what that means for our faith and for our life. We know of God's mercy. We know of God's kindness. And quite often, Scripture reminds us of those things over and over. We're reminded about God's power. We are reminded about the mercy of God. We are reminded about the forgiveness of God. But Scripture also tells us something in particular about God. God is love. Sure, God is merciful. Scripture says that, but that means God is full of mercy. But Scripture says God is love. And that's why everything we understand about God stems from love. At the core of everything we believe about who and even what God is, there's love. There has to be because God is. I'm just making sure we're all reading the same Bible here. God is. Love. And that's why we talk about love so much. But hopefully, if you're paying attention, the way the church talks about love is quite often different than the way others speak about love. And for good reason. Over 40 something times, we're told that the love of God or the steadfast love of God endures forever. That's something. The psalmist, that's something God seems to want us to remember, that this love we think about, that this love we talk about, it's been around forever. It's going to be around forever. And I think if we consider the the love of God, the reason why God is so good, one, yes, his love endures forever. But what that means for us, I think God is so good because he's not like us. Because I don't know about your love. But I'll talk to you just a little bit about mine. Mine doesn't seem to always endure. Mine seems to be a little shaky sometimes. Believe it or not, you could probably say something to me to influence my love. Believe it or not, you could do something to me that would make me question my love for you. 
You see, I don't know about your love, but again, my love is a little bit different than God's. We might say God is good, but um, sometimes we're not willing to live like God is good. Because our love has a hard time enduring. We may love God when it's convenient. We may love others when it's convenient. We may love as long as we're feeling good about it or as long as we approve of the circumstances around the love we're talking about. If things are going our way, then maybe we're doing a fairly good job of loving God and loving each other's. And maybe even as long as we're getting something out of it, our love endures. And that's what I think makes God so good. Is that in spite of all that, we aren't the first generation that has lived that way. We aren't the first people ever on God's planet to have that kind of love. And even in spite of that, God's love endures forever. And quite frankly, when you think about who we are, it has to endure. It has to put up with people like us. Do you know how much you need God? It's the the right Christian thing to say, yes, I need God. I know I need God. I need God every day of my life. I need God for me to walk Quite often, our lives don't match how we say we need God. Quite often, our attitudes, the way we live, don't match the words we use about God's love and how much we think we need it. Because, again, our love has trouble enduring, doesn't it? See, this love of God that we're talking about, it's not like anything we talk about on Valentine's Day. It's not like puppy love. It's not like simple love. It's a love that endures, but it's a love that has to endure on our behalf. And thanks be to God that that is the love that we look to week after week, day after day, when we see the cross of Christ, when we think about his life, and when we hear the words of the psalmist, that God's steadfast love endures forever. How much do you need that enduring love, though? We've all seen the commercials, right? Where someone comes onto the screen and, you know, they say, well, I have condition A and my life is... And, and then all of a sudden, the atmosphere changes, right? Sometimes even literally it, it, the, the color goes from gray to bright colors. And now they're perpetually smiling for the rest of the commercial. And as you see them carrying on with life, doing the things they love to do, we have the voiceover, don't we? Warning. This medicine could cause side effects. Your tongue could swell. Your eyes could pop out. Your feet could fall off. Might induce vomiting. Do not take this if you're pregnant, thinking about pregnant, or ever seen a pregnant woman in your life. (laughs) And finally, after all that, I mean, probably a good minute of... You could die by taking this medicine. But take it anyway. 
Because maybe you'll be able to smile just like the person in the commercial. What's interesting is sometimes we've got to decide, this is funny, how we're going to deal with our sickness and, and in what ways we are going to confront our sickness because God dealt with the sickness of the people. I don't know if you found, if you've ever found this story of Moses in the desert kind of funny sometimes. As Numbers says, the people, guess what? They're whining again. I love the part. There's no food. Well, we don't like the food, but there's no food. So snakes came out and bit the people, it says, and people died because of these snake bites. Now, there's a lot of people afraid of snakes, right? And quite often we associate snakes with sin and with death, right? But what did God do with the snake? All right, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go grab one of those. And I want you to put it on a pole. And and I want people to be able to see it. It's got to be high enough. They need to be able to see it so that if they get bitten by it, they'll see the snake and they'll live. How weird is that, y'all? I wasn't going to, but in our Sunday school class, I mentioned a clergy colleague of mine who was a psychiatrist, and uh, he had a particular practice. And uh, and during his presentation, he'd give everybody a styrofoam cup, and uh, periodically throughout his presentation, he'd tell everybody, all right, spit in your cup. And he'd do this several times throughout his his conversation. And at the end, when he was done, he would say, okay, drink up. But then he'd ask this next question. What were you going to do with that spit anyway? Weren't you still going to swallow it? I just did. And his point was that sometimes it can be hard to talk about the things that hurt us. It can be hard to look at something we are so fearful of and see how God used it for something for our good. Now, I'd like to be able to say we could look at one of those stories. That's just a weird story of Moses and the people. I don't know how long they had been walking around before they started seeing snakes on poles and stuff. But then Jesus didn't leave it alone. You know the situation. He's there with Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus has approached him and says, we know you are a teacher. We know we know there's something about you. And Jesus says, well, just like Moses lifted up that serpent. I've got to be lifted up as well. You may fear death. You may fear pain. You may fear abandonment. You may fear mockery. You may fear injustice, and rightly so. But these are all the things that God is about to use for something good. So that when we see that cross, we can understand that the things that went into making that happen are not of God. Hate belongs nowhere with God. Injustice is not a part of God's plan. And all the other things that would motivate those people to crucify Jesus. And so here we are today listening to Jesus help us try to make sense of this crazy story in the desert. 
And what he's saying is I must be lifted up. People are going to have to see me there in order to understand just how much they need me. Because we all know actions speak louder than words and words are powerful and words are important, but words can also be empty, can't they? Sure they can. People in the church use empty words all the time. People of God have used empty words seemingly forever. And God said, I don't need your words. I don't need your silly sacrifices. I need you. I want you. And when we look at the cross of Christ, we see God saying, I want you. And you need Because on our own, own, in the desert, we don't know if we're hungry. We don't know if we just don't like the food. We don't know when to be happy. We don't know what truly gives us great meaning. We wonder. We get ourselves upset. And on and on and on we go. But at some point, we hear God speaking. At some point, we hear God saying, My love is enduring for you right here and right now. And that grace triggers in us and we say, God, amen. I'll follow you wherever you send me. I love you because you have loved me. I will love you because you love me. I'll love who you want me to love. I'll do what you ask me to do. Because I get it. I see it. I understand it. Your love has endured forever. Your love has brought me here. Your love is what is most important to me. I get it. And then we begin to understand why the psalmist says, let them, those people who get it, those people who have felt the call of God, let them thank the Lord for his Steadfast love. Hopefully, you are the them who know of God's steadfast love. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. When we hear that calling, what we understand is It's love endures. It's there for us. Just like those people in the desert, it wants to bring us what we need. There's food in the desert. There was healing in the desert. There was freedom in the desert. And there was redemption, restoration in the desert. And those are things that God wants for every single one of his people. But in order to understand this love that endures, in order to comprehend how great God's love is, you have to know how sick you are. You have to know how much we tend to wander. We have to know why we need God. And that can be a hard thing 
to try to figure out because it means we have to be honest about our lives. It means we have to be honest about our sin. It means we have to be upfront about things we've done, things we've said, things we think. But we've got to know how sick we are to be able to look at that cross and say thank you and for our lives to be different afterwards. That's what Jesus says. You all know the verse, like the world's favorite verse. For God so loved the world. Here's what's great. When we know how sick we are, we're offered everlasting life. Now, we tend to think everlasting life. Wow, that means I'm going to live forever from now on. But that's not what everlasting means. Everlasting means it has no ending. And it has no beginning either. It's God's life. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I understand how that works. But that's what eternal is. But what I think I hear God saying is when we know how sick we are, the life that God truly wants for us is here. It's yours. If only you take it. Let's pray. Oh, God, in our wanderings, we have complained. We have struggled. We have brought trouble upon ourselves. But here we are today, God, wanting the eternal new life that you offer to us. Take all of our brokenness, take all of our sickness, take all of our wondering, and take all of our sin, and set us on the path that leads us to righteousness so that we could know your will. And may today be a new day for our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.